Welcome to the I'm a Health Visitor podcast. We want to help health visitors stay up to date, so we're here to give evidence-based information and insight into relevant practice issues. We're currently supported by the CPHVA Education Development Trust, McQueen Bursary. Hi, it's Jenny here. Hi, it's Amy here. Um, remote as ever. Hello, through yeah. my little phone. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> we thought this week we would look at contraception. Yes. Because it's it's one of those funny areas, isn't it, where we don't exactly mm-hmm. give it out. No. Um, or anything, but it's something we're meant to discuss with parents, especially mm. at the six to eight week review. I think mm. sometimes it may it might even come in a little bit in the new birth visit um Mm -hmm. or even in antenatal contacts Mm -hmm. um but it's something which looking around it's not like there is anything definitely around for health visitors around how to give the advice and things is it yeah I found it really I I always find contraception really challenging to be honest because being a peds nurse you know I don't have any kind of experience of Con- like contraceptive advice or anything um, yeah. in my nursing training and no. um, just like my personal knowledge of contraception is not great so I was no. a bit like I'm, I always feel slightly uncomfortable about the conversation and um, but I think we often get asked don't we about um when can I have sex you know um, am I allowed to have sex now sort of thing yeah um, yeah and I sort of typically give a response that's quite short and quite probably non not very comprehensive response about how you know it, it it's about when you feel ready to and you know putting any pressure on yourself yeah. and that kind of thing no, is exactly. what I usually talk about but I think actually from researching this episode I probably don't really do that conversation much justice so we're um we're no. going to cover some key points aren't we so yeah and, and it's then, one of those things where I think we're we're doing more of a a wide landscape than a deep yeah. dive down a hole, aren't we? Yeah. So hopefully, um, this is hope- going to be maybe a really good one to do reflections on and a bit of CPD with, because yeah. hopefully we can be that starting point for you to do a bit of research. And there is definitely, definitely um, a void to be filled from the point of view of information around this. Um, it's quite funny. <laughs> I don't know what when you um, Amy's little is a bit poorly at the moment, so we've had yeah. a bit of a stop-start morning. Mm. And um, when you popped off just now, I forgot to say when you came back. Um, do you know what came into my? Have you seen Grease too? Uh, I feel like I must have. I it suddenly felt like I got a bit of an earworm and realised it was the song Reproduction from Grease too. Um, <laughs> And it's quite funny because actually two of the methods we're talking about were included in the song. Incredible. I feel like that um, might have to be included on the start of the episode now, if I'm really honest. Like a little 10 seconds. I think, oh yeah, completely. I think if you can find it, we can, yeah, it's on YouTube. I found it very quickly. Um <laughs> It's definitely got that catchy element. Um, But 
I mean, I'm laughing, but it is actually really important. So one of the guidelines that we're going to link to in the blurb and things Mm. is from the um, Faculty of Sexual Reproductive Health, which is part of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Mm -hmm. And they have a a clinical guideline, Contraception After Pregnancy, which originally came out in 2017 Mm. and has most recently been amended in um, last October, so October 2020. Mm. And the statistics are really a bit mind blowing. Um, So they talked about how in the UK, one in three pregnancies ends in abortion. Now, obviously, that does not mean that all of those pregnancies were unintended. Um, Mm. I think something which is really under-recognised is um, termination for medical reasons, Mm -hmm. um, which, I mean, is something I... I have a very personal connection with um, and I think it would be something maybe we discuss in another episode. Mm. Um, but there's also still obviously that termination following sexual abuse or um, non-consensual exactly. sex. So it's exactly. not that contraception could necessarily prevent all of those experiences because a, a, a no. good proportion of them will come from, um, from means yeah. that contraception wouldn't have made any difference. If if that makes sense but yeah i mean it's it's a tricky one i think it would need a bigger breakdown to to know that for certain and i think Mm. there are certain risk factors where if you know you're at risk then Mm. having good contraceptive health would be beneficial Mm. um but then also um they talk about that one in three pregnancies that go to term may have been unintended which is quite a big proportion, really. Mm. You kind of... I don't know, I think we kind of all can be in our little bubbles sometimes, can't we? And I think if we think about it, we do all have friends and family who've had that surprise baby. Yeah. But I to suppose... put it at one-third is I quite know. surprising. It's really... Um, quite a shock i suppose the kind of critical part of me is wondering what is meant by the term unintended there because you know i wonder whether it kind of means families that perhaps have consciously made the choice to stop using contraception but they're not sort of actively trying in the sense of you know watching the cycles and really planning to have a baby imminently and wanting a baby immediately but they might sort of be taking a more casual approach to it whether they would count as unintended i think if you're taking a if it happens it happens we're not going to do anything to stop it that doesn't quite count as unintended because you must be Mm. at a point of security of thinking but you know if it happens it happens and we'll manage Mm. um but yeah it's a tricky one isn't it we could do with um more information around the terms it's like any statistic isn't it like it the number is is interesting but you're always going to need more data behind how that number's been calculated to really draw any significant conclusions but i suppose you know um the the other one that you that you pointed out to me was one in 13 women presenting for an abortion or a delivery within a year of birth yeah yeah so it was, does that mean that out of out of 13 women who are presenting for either a termination or um or a, are about to deliver their baby one in 13 of them will be within a year of birth yes Gosh, that is a really high number, isn't it? So obviously some of those would have been like planned babies. 
Yeah, but I reckon it's but, probably fairly fairly small proportion. Yeah. Um, and yeah. yeah, and there is reasons behind that concern of it being within a year because a shorter interpregnancy interval, mm. uh, which is sometimes abbreviated to IPI, increases the risk of stillbirth, neonatal death, mm. preterm birth, and low birth weight. Mm. Now, obviously. It's that thing they're talking about increasing the risks, but not mentioning what the percentage of those risks are to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we could be looking at something that increased the risk from not point five percent to one percent. Yeah. Um, but we don't know. But also, it, again, it's that thing where it's it's considering well, is this is this something that women are wanting to happen? That's the point. Or is it, it something yeah. that women are feeling out of control with? Yeah. And. I think it's that thing where I think we still have a very... Yeah, I still think we have... I think feel that we have possibly a potentially sizable population mm. who feel like there is nothing that can be done. And mm. we'll talk through some of the other issues around this as well as we yeah, go forward. Yeah, the more emotional side, yeah. Um, but, you know, there is this population who maybe aren't being reached with the ability to then empower themselves to take control of their own reproductive health absolutely i mean the world health organization recommend an interpregnancy interval of two years or 24 Mm -hmm. months because of these significant risks Mm -hmm. um and also it's it's disproportionate representation in vulnerable groups yeah so the example they give is young people um but i'm guessing there are also yeah the, the other groups that would other be, groups yeah it's like any yeah i mean health a uh, health um issue isn't it we have inequalities in health in health that yeah. disproportionately represented groups that are, are struggling for various reasons are disproportionately affected by various health factors so this is just another yeah. one of those examples we talk about it all the time on the podcast don't we Definitely, definitely. Mm. And I think it's one of those things where I think sometimes we can be quite quick to, if contraception comes up, you know, I know when we did our six to eight week reviews, there'd always be a leaflet about contraception we could Mm. hand over to them. That kind of knew the bits and bobs about it. But if I had any questions, I'd be there grabbing the leaflet and going, well, let's just have a look in this together and see what we can find. Yeah, And it is that thing where I know... Sorry. I was going to say, even talking today... And we've had confusion over some of the methods and which methods which and how long they last for. Yeah. So I think giving a bit of an overview might be a a good sort of move as well. Yeah, so shall we talk about that then? That's neatly um, led us in beautifully to the different methods. So um, there's a really good um, contraception guide on um, the NHS website, actually, um, that I think is very accessible, very easy to use, very clear. You know, some of the other contraceptive guides that we found when we were researching um, were using terms that, quite honestly, I was looking down the list going, I don't know what any of those actually mean. And then when I was kind of process of elimination all oh, that must be this and that must be that but it's not really using common terms that people use in lay conversation it's using the medical term for it do you know what I mean whereas this NHS yeah. guide it is using the actual like the words that you would recognize so the first exactly. method on the contraception guide is the combined pill okay so shall we take them one by one and you know just do the at a glance yeah kind of overview 
Okay, so the first one is the contraceptive pill, the oral contraceptive pill, which is the one we just call the pill, isn't it? That's the typical one. That's and the it's, one, yeah. And it contains artificial versions of estrogen and progesterone. Um, and if this is taken properly, it's really effective, over 99% effective in preventing pregnancy. Um, but you do have to take it very carefully. You have to take one a day for 21 days and then have a break of seven days. Um, and then you have a bleed during that break. Um, you can tweak that regime, but but you, it is quite strict. You know, you have to take it the same time every day. Mm. If you miss a pill or you vomit or you have diarrhea, if you're on some medications, it might be less effective. Um, yeah, you I know. mean, compli- compliance and con- concordance can be quite a big issue quite challenging with, with, with this, this one. one, can't they? And also there's been the issue recent in lockdown and things of being able to continue to get prescriptions easily. That's true. Yeah. I mean, the combined pill, the other thing I'm reading here um, is that the combined pill is not suitable if you're over 35 and smoke, which yes. must be quite yeah. a, a big proportion of people. And I didn't know that. So that's really no. So there are know. Yeah, there are limitations on you could have, I think, I believe you can have progesterone only. Mm-hmm. But it's the the estrogen and um, progesterone combined. Uh, yeah. So if you're pregnant, <laughs> if you're pregnant, that, that yeah, okay. Um, smoke and are over thirty five. Stop smoking less than a year ago or over thirty five. Uh, over overweight, or if there's particular medications you take, mm-hmm. um, because you can just have this. The extra estrogen can be risky. Obviously, oh, okay. if you've got um. I think as well, if you've got history of um, estrogen responsive breast cancer in the family, Mm -hmm. again, you may want to make sure you steer clear of of this one. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, if you you just know that you're not great at being reliable at taking medication, stare away. The other thing it says here that I think might be really relevant for people just after they've had a baby is that there may be a link between the pill and depression. Um, it says evidence is mixed and further research is needed, but that feels like an important one to bear in mind as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. We're going to discuss lactation and contraception yes. um, in a little bit. So, but let's stick a pin in and say there's We're some stuff to talk about to with um, lactation around this as well. Have you got some figures, Jen, around, um, because we thought it might be interesting as we go through each method just briefly to mention how they're typically used and how effective they are versus how they're tested and how effective they are. Exactly. So, yeah, the guideline that I mentioned um, from the the Faculty of Sexual Reproductive Health, um, page four of their guideline, they've got a table. I love a good clear table, don't you, Aim? Love a clear table. Oh, and this is beautiful. So this looks at, this is modified from research by Trussell in 2011, and it looks at the percentage of women experiencing unintended pregnancy within um, first year of use of with typical use and perfect use. Right. So obviously when we're, um, often the, the figures that we're quoting in the NHS website is looking at this perfect use. And if you take it perfectly, it, they're all incredibly reliable. Right. However, with the um the combined hormonal contraceptives and progesterone only pills, with perfect use, percentage is zero point three percent. Zero point three percent of women using this, or women or people using this, get pregnant. Yeah. Um, with typical use, it's nine percent. 
Right, so quite a big difference there. Quite pretty big difference, yeah. And that's actually looking at the table. Um, oh, blimey. Looking at the table, the only one, um, well, the, the only methods that are higher are the um, male, male condom, female diaphragm, and fertility awareness-based methods. Yeah, so really, it's a poor method. Um, so it's not great. I mean, mm. it's it's better than some of the fertility based methods. So looking at the withdrawal method, yeah, um, following your cycle, which with typical perfect use is zero point four to five percent, and um, in typical use is closer to twenty four percent. Yeah. Um, male condom with perfect use is actually only six percent. Yeah, I thought it'd be lower than that. Yeah, I'm quite surprised that that's not as two percent more effective. Six percent's the female diaphragm. Oh God, you're right. That would be why I was surprised. You were right. Yeah, it was. I was. <laughs> yeah, so I. It is more effective. Two percent, yeah. but actually, when used typical use, it's eighteen percent. Whereas the female diaphragm, while perfect use is still six percent, uh, typical use is twelve percent, mm-hmm. which doesn't actually sound. I mean, it was double the risk, I suppose, mm. but mm. you're still going from a relatively low percentage to a relatively low percentage. I mean, when you look at the numbers, the actual numbers, though, um, it's clear that there are much better options than all of these, you know, so condoms. Yeah. The female diaphragm, by the way, we don't need to talk about it in any detail at all. It's literally a cap, like a cap, um, yeah. a physical cap that you put in and you have to keep it in place for six hours after you have sex. Um and you have to put it in before you have sex as well. It's not very practical, really. Um, and the condom, we all know, are not very easy to use either. No. Um, I remember seeing one ages back. And, um, oh, years back. <laughs> a very long time ago. Back in my <laughs> very young student nurse days. Uh, it was a practice nurse placement. And I was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um... And, um it it's funny because it reminds me now of the design of some of the um, period things. You know, cups. like I can't remember menstrual the cups. cups. Yeah, yeah, menstrual cups. That's it. I couldn't remember what they were called then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Actually, and, um, yeah, it's like oh blimey, that's uh yeah. And I always wonder if they could have that that usage as well. You know, <laughs> use it, get get <laughs> it for the contraception, keep it for a <laughs> menstrual cup. You know. <laughs> that's so funny um well yeah so i mean they're not great it also says that the with those you can develop cystitis um yeah they can be quite difficult to learn how to use they might not fit properly it all sounds quite fiddly to be very honest yeah you you have you have to i I seem to recall the nurse which was explaining them saying about you have to be sized for them (laughs) and if you if you lose weight or you put on weight your size changes yeah or if you have a baby yeah well yeah or a miscarriage yeah yeah um it's so okay so so we've talked about some of the less effective methods then haven't we really there in that list kind of we've talked about um the the combined pill the diaphragm or cap um there's female condoms as well yeah um they're not on this typical versus perfect list are they um yeah but i I, I would imagine shows how uh, yeah 
um, in that. How rare they are. I imagine they're in that group of the kind of less effective ones just because it's a physical barrier, so there's more um, potential for use, you know, error in using. Yeah. Um, and obviously we've talked briefly about fertility awareness-based methods, so watching your cycle or the withdrawal method that covers, yeah. um, which yeah. um, if you use them perfectly are very effective, 0.4 yeah. to 5%, but um, clearly in typical use it's more like 24% of people who are using those methods would get pregnant, so one in four, that's it's not a great... Um, no. Not a great number. So let's talk about the more effective ones then. <laughs> yeah. So um, more effective. And interestingly, actually, I was going to talk, say about the um, progesterone-only injectables, mm-hmm. which is this is where we, we got confused, weren't we? Because I thought it was something that goes in and lasts for several years. And you were like, no, 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 no. That's the implant. Yeah. And I was like, oh, very confused. Yeah. As the first only implant, in, in, um, and because I thought Depo, when people have said about, oh, I'm on Depo, yeah. I had thought those were the matchstick implants. No, yeah. And they're not, are they? No, they're, they're completely not. different. And it makes sense because looking at this table, um, it talks about how with typical use, they're, or with perfect use, they're 0.2% pregnancy rate however in typical use there's a six percent pregnancy rate and that's because they have to continue having these injections every three months don't they yes exactly so you go into the gp um for every 13 weeks um eight for eight to 13 weeks depending on which injection you have but typically in the uk the most common one is the depo provera which lasts for 13 weeks. So it's, it's, I suppose, better if you if you find it difficult to remember to take a pill every day, but then you do have to remember to go to the GP every 13 weeks. It's, it's quite a lot of appointments. Exactly, exactly. It is useful, though. I mean, we mentioned about women who can't use oestrogen um, contraceptive, base contraceptives. Mm. This doesn't contain oestrogen, so it's really useful from that point of view. Yeah. Um, but I... There, there, there are side. Yeah, there can be side effects, including yeah. you know, weight gain, headaches, mood swings, breast tenderness, irregular ble- bleeding. Yeah. Um, which can be, I mean, at least quite annoying. Yeah. At worst, really unpleasant. Yeah. yeah. I think those side effects are quite common with quite a lot of the contraceptive methods. You know, the not the physical yeah. barrier ones, obviously, but the the hormonal ones. Um. One thing yeah. that's quite important probably for people, you know, who are having babies or in that period of their life where they're having babies is it can take it up to a year for your fertility to return to normal after the injection yes. wears off. So yeah. it's not something that you can stop having the injections and then it might take it a long time for you, for you to get pregnant. You could get pregnant again straight away, of course, so you can't use that as a contraceptive method, but... Um, if you were thinking of planning a family, that might make it quite dif- difficult. It's easier if you know that you don't want any more, I suppose. I mean, the other thing to consider, but then if you're looking at thinking you finished your family, mm. then actually, you know, there are, I mean, there are, you know, the, the injectable um, implants and um, interuterine devices that actually can last three years, five years, even ten years. Yeah. Which... If you really feel like you've finished your family, that could be 
well, the or, one to be looking at. To be honest, I think even if you haven't feel like you've, fa- you've finished your family, I think these are good options, actually, because yeah. um, many of them, your fertility does return to normal very quickly after you have it removed. Um, yes. So, you know, for example, I'm thinking of the IUD, the coil. Um, yeah. That's the copper copper coil that uh, that people call the copper coil. Um, yeah. And it can protect against pregnancy for between five to ten years, depending on the type. It's 99% yeah. effective. It can be put in any time in your menstrual cycle, as long as you're not pregnant, obviously. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, there are some small risks associated with the insertion of it. Um, but yeah, they, are, not... they are small risks. Yeah, I was going to say, they're, they're not comf- they're, it's not a comfy feeling having a coil put in no you do get quite an achy tummy afterwards um also i mean the the big one of the big pluses i think for a lot of people with the copper coil is that it's drug free yeah it is literally there is no no hormones going in um however they can sometimes lead to um periods becoming heavier and longer and more painful which may improve after a few months but if you're someone who already experiences heavy menstruation already has significant pain yeah might not be the one for you Mm. um but you can get pregnant straight away as soon as it's removed oh yeah no completely completely. because obviously once it's not there anymore it's not a hormone so it's not releasing the copper anymore so it's it's you can get pregnant again straight away Exactly, exactly. Um, and a similar thing, I mean, from the point of view of how quickly you can conceive afterwards, actually even the um, the IUS, IUS yeah. intrauterine system as the, um, the, the uh, I was going to say the coil with hormones, and I was hoping to scroll down and it just double-check. It yeah. is just progesterone, isn't it? Yes, so, progesterone coil, yeah. And it's... And it's a really, it's a, I believe, a lower dose than the, um, even the combined pill because it's mm-hmm. right in that area. Localised. In the right, yeah. localised already. That's a word. I've lost all of my proper educational words You today. absolutely Have you haven't. noticed? No, not at all. I have not noticed. <laughs> um, and again, it's similar, similar level of, or exactly the same level of discomfort as yeah. having a copper coil. Yeah. Um, the thing to be aware of with both of the coils is if you are, if you're advising someone who isn't in a a steady relationship, if they don't have, um, one partner, one partner, the risk around sexually transmitted infections is relevant. um, Yeah, is relevant because you've got a device that's actually indwelling, which Mm. can just. It, you know, even more so than if you're on the pill or something. Obviously, mm. ideally, um, anyone who is um, is going from partner to partner would use condoms because yeah. that is the only, you know, short of abstinence, that is the only yeah, real barrier, barrier against prevention STIs. against STIs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's that thing of talking to, you know, ensuring that, that 
guys are fully informed about the potential impacts on their health, mm. potential risk factors that may be unique to them. And it's not even like you would need to sit them down and go through all of this with them. Mm. It's just having ensuring that they can make an informed, consensual decision about mm. their, their future going forward. Mm. The other thing, the other thing that's good about this one, I mean, it, you're you're totally right in what you're saying. I guess that applies to quite a lot of um kind of hormonal contraception, doesn't it? Anything that's not a barrier method, really. Um, yeah. But the this one, I think, is a good option for many people. Um, what you don't have to think about it once it's in. Um, and you can get pregnant right. again um straight after it's removed so even though it is hormonal because it's localized yeah. and it's low dose it is possible to get pregnant straight away after um yeah the other th- good thing about it is that for people who have painful heavy or painful periods it can make your periods lighter or shorter or stop altogether um, yes. so it's quite popular from that perspective yeah I, I have to say, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I'm happy to say that I'm on, I use the, this one. And I went from having, I was so fortunate that my periods weren't hugely painful, but blimey, they were heavy. Yeah. Um, and I've now, you know, sort of literally since having had my first child, I've had this between, between pregnancies and after my last pregnancy. And it's been amazing. Yeah. Um, just sort of having had such heavy bleeding for so long to mm. then go to zip mm. and um and it's yeah it's just oh it's, it feels revolutionary yeah it's, um, it really is i think it's an excellent <laughs> it is that thing i think i think you kind of do end up slightly falling back into the thing of going well i don't know if i ever really want to go through all that stuff again <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um the other good thing if we look on the typical use versus perfect use I think it's probably you might say it's the best one. Yes. Um, in terms yeah. of so you know what, it's better. This is unbelievable, but it's better than female sterilization. In those females, I know that sounds completely ridiculous, but female sterilization it says it's zero point five percent in perfect use. And obviously yeah. 0.5% in typical use as well. So it's the same for typical and perfect because clearly, you know, you're not, you, you don't have any impact on it as the patient, do you? Um, yeah. But the IUS, yeah, I see. the intrauterine system, is 0.2% yeah. across both of them. So 0.2%, that's, that's less than 0.5%. That is. That's bonkers. So that the only really... one that's more effective than the IUS is vasectomy, male vasectomy. Yeah. And that's only, you know, 0.1 versus 0.2. Um, and yeah. it's clearly, it's, it's, you know, the most effective in typical use outside of, um, outside of sterilisation or the implant is the other one that's, that's slightly, is more effective. So... Let's talk about the implant because I think that's probably the other really good yes. option for people. Yeah, and again, I know there has, and it may even be, um, it'd be interesting to know actually whether even contraception is as much of a, a conversation that you need to have anymore because I know um, from the details in the report um, or the guidelines as well, that actually there has been a lot more talk about contraception in hospital almost immediately following birth because you can have 
the coil inserted so quickly after birth. Right. Um, that there has been talk of doing that while they're in hospital having had baby because of this knowledge of issues with getting appointments during lockdown and oh, right. access to... Which does feel a bit, I mean... I haven't heard it, of that. No, it's positive in a way from the point of view of it being... Um, preventing those unintended. Preventing. Mm. And the fact as well that if if a little while down the line you're like, oh, I'm not so sure, you can then have it removed and you know it's not going to impact your fertility. Mm, mm, mm. But um, there is a bit of me thinking, well, I wonder how much information or, or how much notice they have that this is going to be offered to them i know i'm not sure about the whole informed consent thing and also it feels like the right information at the right time is what we need to work out with these types of issues isn't it yeah um so sorry which one were you the contraceptive implant i think is the last one that we haven't talked about that feels like we sh- we definitely should talk about there are other ones yes. as well like there's obviously the patch the vaginal ring um, yes. The mini pill we could we did you did mention that briefly didn't you Yeah. Um, yeah. We could talk about that quickly, but the implant I think is the other really good option. So this is the one that looks a bit like a matchstick. It's like um a small, really flexible plastic rod, um about the size of a matchstick that goes under the skin in your upper arm. So it's normally in the inner part of your upper arm, um and you can feel it just under the skin. Um, and yeah. it releases progesterone into your bloodstream um, and lasts for three years. Okay. Blimey. So once it's in, you don't have to think about it again for three years. So similar to the IUS from that perspective. Again, you can use it if you, if you can't use estrogen-containing contraception. Um, you can have it removed at any time and your natural fertility will return very quickly. So not quite instantly, but very quickly. It's a systemic drug rather than a localized one so it does take some time to come out of your system but um it's not instant in the way that having the coil removed is but it's very very fast because obviously um it's just that half-life of the progesterone that's that's all you're waiting for um common side effect is that your periods stop um, but then, on the other hand, they might become irregular, lighter, heavier, longer, you know, like any, a lot of these things. Um, so that's a fairly good option as well. So that's probably more of a personal preference kind of a thing in, in choosing between the IUS and the implant, really. Yeah, I think that implant is, again, something that you can have fitted fairly quickly after mm-hmm. pregnancy as well. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's seen as safe to use while breastfeeding. Um, mm. Yeah, so we're going to talk yeah. about breastfeeding, aren't we? Shall I just quickly mention the, the progesterone-only pill? That's the mini pill, isn't it? The mini it? pill, exactly. Yeah. It's 99% effective if you take it correctly, but in the typical use, you know, yeah, 99% um, if you use it perfectly, 91% if you use it typically. So on your, on your chart, that's... Um, works out at nine percent of women who are on the progesterone only pill in typical use will get pregnant and 0.3 percent with perfect use so again it's that big disparity just the same as the combined pill um the big disparity between perfect use and typical use because obviously you have to take it 
again every day um it has to be at the same time every day and if you take it more than three hours late um or depending or 12 hours late depending on which type of pill it is then it's it might not be effective if you're sick if you have diarrhea it might not work some medicines medicines might affect the effectiveness again you know it's all those same types of challenges so i mean i wonder whether just to make sure we've covered the lactation breastfeeding thing um, properly because we've been a bit kind of all over the place with that but could you just give yeah. us sort of a brief um sum up and a bit more information for anyone who wants to look that up in a bit more detail so that's obviously a really important thing isn't it for a huge proportion yeah. of the parents that we're working yeah. with indeed indeed and the thing to remember is when you're talking about contraception you're talking about uh, drugs medicines and breastfeeding and mm-hmm. where is the best place to go for any information on drugs medicine and breastfeeding yes. wendy's no, excellent yes. breastfeeding yeah. network so, resource well, the well that's not wendy network, anymore which is it? it isn't no so um i think wendy has understandably stepped back from it and yeah. having got the whole thing rolling um and i think this needed a team to uh to replace one woman everything she was doing which is amazing um but they've got a brilliant sheet about contraception and breastfeeding um and they've it's brilliant because it starts off information about using lactational and lactational amenorrhea um lamb um the sort of natural contraceptive um um, which I mean can be up to ninety eight percent effective. I think as we mentioned on yeah we um, mentioned when we it, went through the methods. We? Yeah, but it is so strict. Yeah, you, know, you have to make sure that you're fully breastfeeding. Um, baby's not having any other liquids or solid foods. That means this is only applicable in the first six months. Um, you're not having any periods. Um, and that you're feeding regularly throughout the day and night. So especially if babies start sleeping for longer periods at night, mm. which is annoyingly when you may need this method a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you need yeah, just to think when you finally got a window. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Also, if you're using a dummy or pacifier, this is not the technique for you yeah. um, or any need for any artificial supplementation. And I think there has been, and I'm struggling to find it here, but I think even if if you're long-term expressing and giving fully expressed milk, yes. again, I don't think it's effective. Yeah. Um, and so, as we've said, you know, especially during the pandemic, there's been lots of these um, long-acting reversible contraceptives being used, um, which obviously have eased pressure on services. Um, it's been more convenient for a lot of um, women because they've not had to try and make these appointments mm. so regularly. Um, and yeah, I can completely see how it, it's amazing. But um, obviously estrogen-based um, contraceptives, so things like the, the, the regular contraceptive pill, are out because it's well-documented, well-researched that estrogen has... A negative impact on breastfeeding and milk supply mm-hmm. however the progesterone only contraceptives have been seen as safe recommended as safe yeah however um these ones um there there is still and it's still at an anecdotal level when when they looked at it and i always think it's like one thing where 
just because there's research not linking it, you can't completely say, oh, well, there you go, there's no link. Because as we know, and as I'm sure you remember from doing your research projects, and in fact, especially now doing your PhD, research questions have to be so specific that you they only actually often tackle a very narrow field. So anecdotally, um, what you're hearing is that women on these um, long-term um, long-acting reversible contraceptives the progesterone based are experiencing a big drop in milk supply when they start on these things and so actually the recommendation is that actually if you're looking at using a long-acting reversible contraceptive to actually try a month of the mini pill the progesterone only pill to right. check what impact that has on your supply first. Because obviously yep. with the mini pill, if you notice an immediate dip, you just stop taking it there and then. Yeah. Um, I've actually got a, a case, um, a no other case at the moment, where um, the mum has had the implant and has. it's only when they've looked for more support that they've realised that there is a tally between the implant going in and milk supply ah, appearing to drop. Right. And they're now wondering whether this is the, the case and they're discussing with their GP having it removed, looking at other methods okay. to see what's going to happen. Um, so it's quite an interesting one, but it's something which I think if we're discussing contraception and especially with breastfeeding mums, we need to be um, considering this. And in the um, um, even in the um, the Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Health, they talk yeah. about using the mini pill for a month before First. using the long-term implantable, okay? Yeah. And that is the big take-home. And I think it's something to consider because, actually, we've not been used to... Or, or yeah, when we were in practising, we weren't used to mums being back on contraception at such an early point. Mm. It might not be something which we even consider. Mm. Um, funnily enough, the thing that brought it to attention with... Um, this client was that something about their history and it suddenly clicked that they may be on a oh hang on a already. minute yeah 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 so I guess that's if obviously you're using the progesterone only but as you've just mentioned a second ago you know we were talking about the coil and things you can actually yes. use the copper coil which then you, you wouldn't have to trial coil. a progesterone only first yeah, for that no, one no no yeah. you only have to trial progesterone only if it's a progesterone um, contraceptives yes, that you're using yeah yeah um but yeah it's something which i don't think we've been so aware of and it's something worth yeah worth it, flagging. Like, passing on this information because we know what it's like you and you when you're there mm. with the doctor and you're you know, i feel uncomfortable challenging doctors yeah and definitely i often have sort of you know, i i know what i'm talking about and feel like yeah. i'm gonna you know have evidence behind what i'm asking yeah. Um, that alone how a a you know new mum must feel. Yeah, having absolutely. that go on. It's um yeah, you you yeah, we need to make sure we're empowering parents with the information. Um and maybe also yeah, if you're in a practice that has a link with GPs, or yeah. even if it's something which you know you're you need to actually discuss with your midwifery colleagues. Yeah. Um, ensuring that they're up to speed with this as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because it's certainly GPs which... that do the baby checks, you know, is really relevant yeah, for them, yeah. isn't it? Because it will be discussed in that check. 
Exactly. And it's exactly. an important thing. And it's quite a simple thing for them to know as well, you know, that um, oh, the progesterone... completely, There is and a, it's a that potential thing of, impact. No, yeah. And it's that thing as well of just going, you know what, actually, you know, rather than booking you in for the implant, let's actually give you trial your rest, um, yeah. trial and then... You know, sort of, and then you know, book you in for another month's time. Yeah, to have for an appointment the then implant. to make a decision. Because then it's yeah. easy. You know, they can always cancel that appointment if it's not working out. Rather, yeah, than absolutely. Then at the last minute, having to. That's great. Thanks for that. And and we'll link to the breastfeeding network resources at the end of the show. If anybody hasn't already come across the drugs and breast milk service, um, you know, you need oh, to immediately. In fact, pause <laughs> yeah. this podcast. Go Google that. Come back and listen to us again afterwards because um, I would seriously, it's an absolute lifeline um, and incredibly useful for all practitioners, I think. So that's yeah. absolutely brilliant to have at your um, at your fingertips. Um, Definitely. So anything else on lactation then, do you think, or are you happy that we've covered that? No, I think that's the main thing. It's that thing, there's Great. a definite link between oestrogen and lactation suppression um and just be wary with progesterone, with progesterone even though it's it's it, it's seen as the 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 perfect choice um there is it's like Some it's, emerging it's too, much anec- too much anecdotal information to suggest yeah. that there isn't a potential link um and i think it, it needs bet it needs deeper deeper research i need to say deeper surgery then which would be weird <laughs> <laughs> um i guess they're advocating for people if you do know of a client who has experienced this suppression for them to report it through the yellow card scheme so that we can yes, actually definitely. get it recognized definitely. as a issue if, if if that's what it is yeah um, and it's that thing where even if if it's yourself even if you realize you know listening to this and you go oh hang on that yeah. happened um, and even if it's a baby over six months old, even yeah. if it's at a year old, it's still worth reporting because it's a side effect. And I think maybe sometimes it it's happening when babies are a bit older and mm. you're thinking, oh, well, but actually it's it's bringing a premature end to your journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you it does may, yeah. may be ha- you know, okay with it ending, but did you really want it to end because of contraception? No, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Um, so okay, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. Um, there is a scheme as well for if you're working with a younger parent. Um, there's a yes. a C card scheme which we've discovered looking for this episode, but yeah, I didn't know yeah. so existed. It's for, no, it's for thirteen to twenty four year olds, mm. and they can access um, free condoms, femidoms, information, advice, lube. Um, and it's to promote, you know, reproductive and sexual health. Mm. It's de- delivered by iCash, which is yeah. an integrated contraception and sexual health service. And they actually cover every area. When I, I, we were researching this and I found out about yeah. this work in my area locally. Yeah. And then when you looked, it's in your area as well. We kind of realised, digging a bit deeper, it is a national scheme. Yes, um, so there's one in every uh-huh. area. You can, And I'll put the link to the, the iCash um service so that you can look at yeah. your area as well in the podcast notes um and it's brilliant because especially if you are seeing a younger yeah parent absolutely. who maybe isn't in a, a sort of a fixed relationship then um yeah it's handy to consider definitely um, um so that's something to signpost them to and then i mean 
aside from those schemes and so we've talked a bit about kind of the mechanics of it almost like which options are there and what's good about them and what's maybe the downsides and all of the side effects and those types of things but I mean we haven't talked about the more emotional side and I think actually when I was researching for this episode I think this is just massively neglected certainly in my conversations with with parents you know um yeah Often, you know, a parent will bring up with you, perhaps in the new birth visit or the six to eight week check, they'll say, oh, am I okay to have sex now? Um, yeah. And I wonder whether they're asking and it's often you said for, exactly for a bigger like conversation. That, mm. Yeah, yeah. They frame it as, this is a physical question, like, am I physically ready to have sex? And the answer yeah, to that similar, for me is always, to, well, I, I don't know, you, you know better than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I I'm not a midwife, and I haven't examined the mum anyway. So, um, no, yeah, I don't know. But, but really, what we should be asking is, do you feel emotionally ready for sex? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and just yeah, and it's quite handy. Really. It's like on the um... yeah, there's a link, isn't there? We'll again, yeah, link to this. Yeah, so we've been looking at, researching for this podcast, there's two resources side by side that we've been looking at. Um, One is the um, Faculty of Sexual and Reproductive Healthcare Clinical Guideline, which is Contraception After Pregnancy. Um, And it was amended in October 2020, so it's relatively recent. Um, And then we were also looking at the NCT um page and they have a resource called sex after a baby quest 10 questions to ask yourself now we yeah. thought there was quite a lot of overlap actually between these these guidance documents obviously the um faculty of sexual and reproductive health one is i'd say less easy read <laughs> yeah. and probably much more useful if you're looking for the kind of um national guidance and all of the other information as well um but the NCT resource I really liked as a kind of thought-provoking general to give you some ideas to perhaps um, prompts for that conversation. So they've got yeah. 10 questions um, and they're recognising that actually, you know, it's very common for new parents to find they're very tired. They've got this huge responsibility for caring for a new baby and they often have less interest in sex as a result. Um, and also that all the hormones are changing, you know, you might not feel as up for sex as you were pre-baby. Yeah. And that's quite and normal. That's absolutely okay. <laughs> and is there, are you feeling actually a pressure from a partner, you know, to have sex? Yeah. Are you worried about your relationship and you're worried about like losing closeness with your partner as a result? Um, you know, is it that kind of that actually you're worried that they want to have sex and you're already concerned about your relationship and the impact on your relationship of having had a baby. Yeah. So you're kind of rushing to have sex to sort of fix that, you know? Um, Yeah. I think one of the things that did strike me on the um, FRSH guidance was the importance of it being a conversation you have with the woman Mm -hmm. on her own. Yes. Or with the the parent on their own. Yeah. you know ensuring there's no coercion yeah ensuring actually is because you do sometimes see that where the partner will be like well you know sitting there listening to the answer or or kind of you know and you always feel that sort of thing you know thing and it can be really tricky sometimes to Mm. to 
sort of have that time alone with the mum but Mm. it's worth ensuring that you do to just double check that it is that they are expressing their own sort of feelings rather than parroting those of a dominating partner Mm. um it's it's one of those things i think it's a really important relationship checkpoint as it were from the point of view of ensuring how healthy is the relationship you're observing yeah, and yeah, what it gives you an opportunity to have on the child. Gives you an opportunity to get a window into that relationship, doesn't it? As well, which is always yeah. a really useful thing as a health visitor. Um, and you know, I suppose there's a chance that um they could be looking to you to say, oh no, 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 you're not ready for sex yet. You know, almost hoping that you'll say no, um, which yeah. will then give them something hard and fast they can say to their partner to say, oh well, the the health visitor said I couldn't yet. You know. Um, yeah. And if that's the case, then there's a conversation around consent that needs to happen there, clearly. Um, Definitely. You know, I suppose there's also a dynamic to this, which actually, aside from pressure from a partner, there's a dynamic about your own feelings about your body. You know, you've just given birth. Um, you know, obviously, you might be worried about how it might feel to have sex after yeah. giving birth. Will it be painful? You know, that type of thing. Um, but also, you might have some quite emotional feelings about your body in terms of yes. um, y- your confidence in your own body, your feelings about your own body, particularly if you've had a traumatic birth or a birth that, that you feel you've kind of, your body has failed you in some way, um, then actually that might really impact the way, how you then feel about it being intimate with a partner. Um, yeah. And clearly, you might be worried, you know, if you've had stitches, if you've had a tear or an episiotomy, um, different different types of birth, how would that affect sex? Um, exactly. I mean, there's obviously the logistics, like a lot of people are worried about baby being in the room. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, particularly in the first six months, most babies yeah. are in the room in the bedroom aren't they um yeah. and, and we say that they should be asleep in a room with a parent for naps and overnight sleep um the whole time um as a sids risk thing um so that yeah. is a thing that people worry about yeah and there's also the thing about with um if they've needed fertility treatment and just yes. double check yeah, was the sure. fertility treatment due to infertility because you do sometimes get guys who are having fertility treatment for other reasons like um, yes yeah, so genetics ensuring or, yeah. genetic conditions aren't passed on yeah. and things mm. so um it's like yeah you can't immediately assume because the family had ivf that mm. <laughs> you don't need to go there but even if they have needed ivf for fertility issues they can sometimes then actually have fertility Still get pregnant following yeah. and get pregnant yeah um, yeah yeah Everybody's situation is going to be different, won't it? And there's one yeah. about, will how I'm feeding my baby affect sex? So this is your area, Jen. I'm going to pass the reins over. But um, I suppose there's hormonal issues there. Um, is there? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose so in the first is few it... weeks. I mean, I think, I think it's much like anything. It's going to be that thing of, you know, taking your time, seeing when you're you're feeling ready. Um I think it's sometimes something where you kind of have the fear of whether you're going to suddenly have milk spurting and things. Um, yeah, oh yeah. It's unlikely to to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's just that thing of, you know, taking your time, listening to your body, 
and just sort of yeah, be ensuring that with you, your partner can also respect <clears throat> where you're at, what you're comfortable with. Um, yeah, yeah it, it's that sort of thing where, yeah, anytime after having a baby, there may be adjustments to how you feel, what you like. It might be there'll be particular things mm-hmm. that you, you don't like. You may even have new ideas of things you'd like to try. Um, yeah, your breasts might be that, less um, kind of sexual yeah, to I mean, you than Obviously, they it's before. that thing, especially in the first seven weeks. Yeah, your breasts are probably going to be feeling a bit. Yeah, they need to be handled with care. very tender, <laughs> gentle care. Um, and they may be a no-fly zone. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> um, I suppose also there's this touched-out thing, isn't there? Like a lot of people, yeah, if they're breastfeeding particularly, um, because of the like the physical demand of that and the fact that you know if you're a breastfeeding parent you're you're physically attached to the baby um for a large proportion of the day you know um a lot of people feel quite touched out by that and perhaps don't want to yeah um and i think and to be fair i don't think you even have i think it happens more when you're um breastfeeding but mm. i don't think yeah, I think combination and bottle feeders also experience that feeling. Absolutely, as well. you're totally right. Yeah, you're it, totally it's just right. thing of yeah, having a child laying on you. <laughs> or yeah, yeah, yeah. Being constantly present. Yeah, for somebody else. Yeah, with your body. Yeah, absolutely. So I hope that's been really useful. Obviously, we've been a bit yeah. of a sort of speedy overview. Um, if anyone's listening who does have any background or knowledge on sexual health, uh, let us know, especially if you've got something you'd like to talk about. If you think there is something that we as health visitors need to know more about, give us Definitely. a shout because we'd be really happy to hear more from you. That'd be great. Um, yeah. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you can find us on social media, on Instagram at I am a HV, on Facebook, I am a health visitor. And you can email us, I am a health visitor at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you. Take care and see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.